0: Welcome to the All Things Nintendo Podcast. I'm Brian J. from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. Before Nintendo was the name in video games, one company dominated the industry in the 70s and early 80s. That company is Atari, and while it did fall off pretty drastically following the video game crash of 1983, the name persists and the logo remains one of the most recognizable logos on the planet.
1: Today I'm joined by the CEO of Atari, Wade Rosen. Wade, how are you doing today? Brian, I'm great. I'm uh, happy to be here, happy to hang out with you and have these awesome cocktails. Yeah, this is
0: the first ever All Things Nintendo episode recorded in the dining room of my house. So excuse any echoes or weird sounds you may hear. The air conditioning is cranking, so apologies if there is any background noise there, but you'll probably hear some glasses clinking we are uh, we are drinking some some cocktails that I recently made. So uh, yeah, that is the situation we have right now. It's the show notes off the top, uh, but you know, Wade, we have a time honored tradition here on all things Nintendo, and every time there is somebody who is a first time guest on the show, we get to know them through the lens of Nintendo and their relationship with Nintendo. So. We're going to ask you two questions here. First one is, what was the first Nintendo game you recall? Whether that is your, your first like memory that you have with Nintendo, or just like the first like large impression that Nintendo left
1: on you. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's a pretty easy one. And it's probably the common one, but it is Super Mario Brothers. And I remember being at a friend's house, watching them play it, and being absolutely mesmerized by a comic book come to life or a storybook come to life. I have never seen anything like it, and I, I didn't even really know what I was seeing or how to process it at the time. And uh, I don't know how old I was. I wasn't in school yet, but it is one of my earliest memories, actually, is uh, watching Super Mario Brothers. So not only is it my first Nintendo memory, it might be one of my earliest memories, period. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about it on this show. Like, I mean, I'm I'm sure people did not listen
0: to the first episode at this point. But, like, you know, my first memory is going to my aunt and uncle's. Or, like, one of my first memories is going to my aunt and uncle's house. And, you know, one, I don't don't know which one happened first, to be honest. One of them had Super Mario Brothers slash Duck Hunt cartridge and Tetris. The other ones had The Legend of Zelda and uh, Bubble Bobble which you and I have geeked out over Bubble Bobble in
1: the past. Love Bubble Bobble. Oh, one of and the
0: greats. It is one of the greats. But those are like my early, some of my earliest memories were going to my family's houses, like my extended family, and playing those games. And I was like, oh, this is like really cool. And like, of course, I got great jumping off points. You know, Super Mario Brothers, one of the most important video games of all time. Legend of Zelda, again, one of the most important video games of all time. Tetris, one of the greatest games of all time. And it's like you have these incredible like jumping off points and super mario brothers like you said is just one of those games that just like if you had any knowledge of video games before that that was like the paradigm shift of okay the game has changed quite literally like atari in the early days like really laid the foundation for what a video game is right like you know you have so many classics on the 2600 and when you know things kind of went south for Atari in in the early 80s it was like okay well that was a cool fad and then Nintendo was like you thought because here's <laughs> super mario brothers here's the legend of zelda here's metroid and so many great games just came out of that early era and it was like okay this maybe this is more than a fad and in fact it was an entirely whole new industry
1: yeah well and, and you know that that first uh, series there i mean it was so nascent, people didn't understand what a video game cycle was, what a console cycle was. And we, you know, it's it's funny we look at that and it's like this, this huge crash, and it's really like, oh no, that was time for a new console. But there wasn't that recognition. In fact, um, the Atari 7800, it chips that the chipset and the specs of it are really comparable to a Nintendo. And it was supposed to release, at that same time, it was actually supposed to release in 83 and predate uh, the Nintendo by about a year. Mm-hmm. And Atari, and many people know this, but Atari had the opportunity to license the Nintendo and be the official, the exclusive. It was, they had the opportunity to make that the next Atari and they turned it down. But they, what they ended up developing was very similar. It wouldn't come out until 1987 after uh, the Trammell family had taken over Atari at that point. But um, uh, yeah, it could have come out in 83. And I oftentimes wonder, like, what would the world have been like if oh an yeah. Atari 7800 had come out in 83? You know, if you think about those early Nintendo games and how primitive those were, and then what they eventually evolved to, uh, I wonder if the crash would have ever happened. Or, or if we would be looking at kind of a, uh, a Nintendo-Atari uh, showdown, like in the 16-bit era. <laughs> yeah. You know, The Nintendo and the... And Atari the does other. what Nintendon't. do Yeah, that's <laughs> good, yeah. I feel like I've heard that
0: somewhere. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, my uh, multiple-time interview Al Nielsen, who was one of the people who was responsible for that marketing campaign back in the early 90s, uh, he might have something to say about that yeah. that slogan of Atari adopted. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's one of the great what-ifs, right, in right. video game history. It's like, you know, what would that world look like if, like, the Nintendo PlayStation actually came to fruition, and that yeah. wasn't just this one prototype that now floats around and is
1: just completely priceless. When Atari, it's it's also strange. I, I've thought about this a lot. I, I'm not sure there's another example um, in any industry where the number one player in an industry voluntarily steps out of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, in eighty three, eighty four, that's that's what happened. Granted, it was a pretty rough year, and I think those numbers scared everybody at the time. But um, I mean, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like the crown was taken. They just stepped away. There was none. Yeah. And the industry, to your point, uh, had been written off, although nobody told the consumers, right? Like, <laughs> Just just the analysts. Just the analysts said it was done, but the consumers didn't. Well, to your point earlier about, like, it was the end of a
0: console cycle, and, like, we had no idea what a console cycle even was, because it's like, okay, I bought my video game system, I guess I'm set for life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't ever really explained, because we didn't have, like, these... these Upgrades that like we're so used to like we, nowadays we're so used to buying a new phone every two years or yeah. whatever we're so used to like okay well my computer is like five or six years old maybe I should upgrade oh, and you're like, getting five or six years you're ahead of me I gotta I gotta learn your secrets there Brian I'm like if I get three and a half my months. gaming PC that that you saw earlier today um, I believe is eight years old now and it still runs almost every game <laughs> so I I'm doing pretty well with yeah. that good, um, good job so. But to your point, like, you know, now, like, back in the, the early 90s, when Nintendo, they even struggled with the transition to a new console cycle. I've been watching a lot of, like, old clips of, like, news footage of, like, when, like, the NES was happening and the SNES. And there were so many people like, I already have a Nintendo. My kid already has a Nintendo. Now they're saying I need to buy a whole new system and, like, it's not going to play any of the old games. Like, what is this scam? Like, they're, they're just, like, basically, like, it's, like, these mob tactics that now we have to pay hundreds of dollars to get a new system to play the new games like what is this
1: and it's like people just weren't conditioned to that at that point no and i mean it and that's it it barely even exists anymore right like platforms just kind of uh like a new console today is not like it was even from Mm -hmm. ps2 to ps3 you know where you have to start completely over a lot of the games transfer now it's more of a platform play like it's it's a softer transition. There's usually a, a halfway point, you know, three and a half years in. You're, I can you know in a couple of years, year and a half, we're going to be getting you know the uh, PS Five Pros and the yeah. uh, Xbox Series <laughs> X uh, Pluses or whatever, and and um, go make that name more convoluted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just toss a couple more, a uh, couple more letters on it. Um, but I think you know what was fun back in the day was every console generation was like a toss up. It didn't matter who dominated the last one. It was like, all right, well, who's going to dominate this one? And every, it was like starting from scratch. And I think that's, it's really tough on a business model, but it's really fun as a consumer Mm -hmm. because you got to like sit there and cheer on your team. And I remember like this begrudging acceptance as time went on of, of like letting go of Nintendo and like embracing PlayStation as I watched PS1 and PS2 come out and be like, and I always loved, I mean actually it was funny i kind of moved to the dreamcast having not really been into sega and then eventually getting super into the sega saturn but uh um yeah like uh uh every console generation was like a a starting over point and i always felt like my loyalty was pretty deep but there was a point at which i'm like I want to play Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. I really want to play Final Fantasy Tactics. Like, I guess I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna jump ship and I'm gonna move over to PlayStation. <laughs> I did that a couple of times. Yeah. I remember when Tony
0: Hawk's Pro Skater oh. came out. I was like, oh, it's N64, and I knew it was coming to N64, but I knew that was the inferior version. Yeah. So I was like, because I think like the N64 version, it had like a lot of the licensed music, but it was like one minute clips or something, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And I was like, well, I want the full songs. And then the, I also knew there was like I love like WCW versus NWO Revenge and World yeah, Tour. Like yeah. I liked professional wrestling back then, so like I was all about those games. And I was more about those than I was like the WWF games, mm. which a lot of people point to as like, Oh, well these are the greatest wrestling games of all time. I'm like, Well, get me <clears throat> the N sixty four WCW games any day of the week. Those were great. But like I wasn't even into wrestling I they were so much fun that's why I had hope actually for the aew game because mm-hmm. it's made by the same developer that made those and they used those WCW games on n64 as like their point of inspiration really that's unfortunately funny. it was pretty uh, feature barren from yeah. what uh, our our editor Marcus Stewart who reviewed it was and he's also our our resident wrestling aficionado <laughs> so he would know best um, but you know I think that the the n64 was such a great console for like You know all those different like kind of cultural milestones like I've said it several times on this podcast like Mario 64 was the blueprint for every 3d platformer for like several years Mm -hmm. after it came out and the Legend of Zelda was the blueprint Ocarina of Time was the blueprint for every other 3d game that came out during that time but then when like PlayStation 1 came out and i was hearing all these things about final fantasy 7 i was i was oh, my cousin was bringing his PlayStation to our grandparents house during like thanksgiving and i was playing tony hawk's pro skater and i was like i got to get myself one of these playstations and then i saw like they had like a wcw game on there and i was like they had like fmv
1: sequences with like the wrestlers walking out i'm like oh my god it's the coolest thing i've ever you seen know, you know what the best part about the fmv sequences i remember the final fantasy 7 ones being like how can graphics ever be nicer than this like, <laughs> right you know, I was, like, there's no pixels I was, like what could possibly be better and now i watch the fmv sequences and i'm like oh Oh, these are blobs. <laughs> these are <laughs> these are, you know, smooth blobs. Like, the most <laughs> artifacted video yeah. you've ever seen. I just remember this video of Cloud on a motorcycle, like going somewhere and being like, that is beautiful. I can't imagine how anything will be more beautiful than that. And now looking back and being like, oh, well, uh, sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> I remember I went I, I what went, before I had an Xbox 360.
0: I was in college and I had an original Xbox and I was playing like Forza Motorsport Two, mm. and I was telling my dad at the time I was home for like winter break or whatever and I was playing Forza Motorsport Two and I was like, "Yeah, I really want the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. Like it looks like the graphics are incredible." And he looked at the Forza Motorsport Two that I was playing as like as I was telling him this and he's like, "How would you ever need graphics better than this? This is like the greatest <laughs> game. I, this is the greatest." Because I used to play games with my dad all the right. time. We played SNES constantly <laughs> and. Like so, the N sixty four was where he kind of fell off because he was like, "This controller is too complicated yeah. for me. I don't know about fair navigating three D spaces." Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Like that was a big that was a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't grow up with it, it's like learning a new language. Like if right. you didn't like learn it in childhood, it is so much more difficult learning it as an adult. I mean, I'm trying to learn Spanish right now, and it is <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> but meanwhile, I learned French in high school, and that came a lot easier. But you're, you're better than me in, in general. The languages
1: were never my forte. But, <laughs> but
0: like, I, my, I, I got my dad Overwatch because mm-hmm. he, he, they called me like back in like, I guess it was like 2017 or 2018. They were like, we want something to play VR. And I was like, well, the one, like I, I, I thought this in my head. I was like, the system that like probably requires the least amount of me acting as their IT guy is gonna be the PlayStation VR. Like if I give them, if I tell them, hey, get an Oculus Rift, they're gonna <laughs> be calling me constantly, be like, oh my god, like the PC won't recognize this driver or whatever. Or if I get them the HTV Vive, or HTC Vive, they're gonna be like losing their minds trying to set that up in a room. So I was like, all right, get a PlayStation VR and a PS4. And then my dad started playing around because it came with Uncharted 4. And he started playing around with that. And he, t- he later told me that he was just playing the intro sequence over and over again because he couldn't get past, like, the second mission. <laughs> but he's like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life because his last point of reference in gaming right. is the Super Nintendo, playing Donkey Kong Country, oh my playing Super Mario World, playing Super Mario Kart. So, like, to jump from that and, like, he's seen me play N64 yeah. and PS2 Uncharted and stuff. 4. But to Uncharted 4, which, like... Yeah. Almost photorealistic in the, the the visuals. It's just such a crazy thing. And I got him Overwatch for Christmas one year and he had no idea how to navigate a 3D space while also aiming. He had, like, he had no mean, idea about the dual And I like how you
1: got him overwatch, of all the things, all the things <laughs> <laughs> You're well, dead.
0: I was like, hey, we can play this together. And we did play it together a few times, and he actually really started enjoying it. I wrote a, a feature about it actually on GameInformer.com about like how he kind of helped me get into gaming, and then like I was repaying the favor of getting him back into gaming. And now it's funny because we, we were just at my parents' house in Pennsylvania for the 4th of July weekend, and he's now getting my nephew into gaming. My nephew's uh, four years old now, and he's, like, playing the the Paw Patrol video game with him. And it's, like, so much fun to, like, just be like, hey, I remember when, like, you and I were doing this. And then, like, we still, like when i come over i'll bring the switch and we'll play mario kart 8 because that was one of the games we grew up playing
1: was mario kart on super nintendo and it's so cool to see like the new generation of mario kart you know and, and a, a friend of mine told me about this thing that um that someone he knew was doing with their children which i thought was so smart and if i have the discipline i'll do it with mine but uh to slowly introduce them to games so rather than just drop them in the deep end with like these beautiful photorealistic graphics mm-hmm. every year to like keep them in a like a time period or a decade or so it's you know they started with like Atari games and then they moved up to Nintendo and then Super Nintendo and so like as they're going through they're actually exper- you know they're they're playing some of the old Ultimas even you know and stuff uh, just these really classic seminal works and moving through this, this time frame and and then, you know, you kind of build up to your uncharted yeah. wars, so to speak. I mean, because I think I think what you're describing also is like we're kind of touching on the human condition a little bit, which is like, when I played Donkey Kong Country, it was mind-blowing. And, or, you know, Mario, or Final Fantasy VII. And now, you know, my expectations of, of graphics are just radically different, like mm-hmm. that's just, I mean, that's, that's what it means to be human, right? And so how do you, like, capture that beauty in the simplicity of something like Breakout, which has had entire books written about it. I mean, entire books have been written about Breakout when that was originally made, and and, and yeah, you know, like how, like what do you do to get back to that that point? And I, I don't know what the answer is. Like it, I, there's probably not an answer. It's not like good or bad, but I do think there's like you know being in in this position at Atari, it's giving me an opportunity to go back and just really play things and and. Uh, and just enjoy them and, and be like, oh wow, like River Raid is cool. Like I, I never played River <laughs> Raid before. Like River Raid is great. Like Yars is a personal favorite, Berserk and and uh, and I've really grown to love them. But what would it have been like to play those as like my first games probably would be an entirely different experience. Oh for sure. And I think yeah. you and I were approximately the same age. Yeah, yeah. We got lucky probably.
0: in that we came of age with gaming, I think. Like totally. I remember the NES oh, yeah. before the SNES existed, and the SNES, yeah. and like, you know,
1: we kind of came along. Like our awkward there were, years. I remember Atari. With, <laughs> I remember there were Ataris. Every you know, like. When I was growing up, and I'd go over and be like, "What is this? This is like a Nintendo. The Pac-Man's not doesn't look great, but uh, we, got right, we got a Pac-Man right
0: here. And I'm holding my Pac-Man 2600 <laughs> cartridge, and uh, notoriously a bad
1: port. Notoriously <laughs> bad. Notoriously bad. Those also ended up in the desert. Little known fact. I think, I think some Pac-Mans ended up there. Uh, obviously, E.T. E.T. A lot of E.T. I think a fair amount of pac-man there were a few others that i think made made an appearance out of the desert but uh uh the other force they they figured it out though i mean it's kind of crazy to play these late in life um atari 2600 games it's like playing you know dragon warrior 4 on the nintendo you're like what is this like this is <laughs> unreal compared to where like final fantasy was you know and uh like playing some of those those very late games like California games is just beautiful or um, Solaris. It's mm-hmm. just these really mesmerizing works of art. So, uh, yeah, it, it is funny to like, be like, well, this is as good as it could get. And then a couple years later, you're like, oh, no, wait, we can, we can crank out a little bit more here, racing that beam. <laughs> yeah. And like,
0: it's interesting that like we kind of went through our awkward years approximately around the same time that sure. the games industry did because. You know what the transition to 3d what you know, was the awkward years for you what, what do you think they are I'm for curious. gaming yeah yeah I think the transition to 3d like the jump because like Mario 64 nailed yeah it. yeah Ocarina yeah. of Time nailed it but not a lot of developers nailed well, that are jump you seen, Bubsy 3d didn't nail it
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is a game that Atari is proud to own and I can't wait to someday put a Bubsy 3 I'm joking I'll say where's the where was that in the Atari 50 collection <laughs> Bubsy 3D, Bubsy <laughs> 3D deserves its own like breakdown and uh, what happened segment. Um, actually, I think it did have its own what happened, didn't it? Matt and <laughs> and Muscles. I, yeah, I think he, yeah. he did one already. Um, I'm sure he did, he's, he's No, you're horrific. right, that was a totally awkward uh, time. I actually, as awkward as that was, there is like a lot of iconic software. The awkward time that I always think of though, mm-hmm. maybe it's not the awkward time, but man, I think of like that um kind of that like Wii late like late PS2 uh Xbox 360 again good games but like I feel like that's when things got like the shovelware really started coming out and oh, and just like be I mean, like how many of these Wii games are like what's the approval process on these things or like I just remember everything was gritty and everything was dark colored and everything and I was like, oh, this is so, and and yet like it was all a shooting gallery and it was all very like earnest, but not even earnest, but just like like very dark and like with no levity whatsoever. And you're like, I like I, I like I like things as dark as the next person, but you know I usually like it a little tongue in cheek. That was just like okay, we gotta be gritty because Grand Theft Auto like crushed it and we gotta get those Grand Theft <laughs> yeah. Auto dollars. So I always think of that as like That's this awkward time in gaming. And, uh, you know, outside of like the seeds that were planted with like Demon's Souls, which, you know, eventually became like Dark Souls, like I just don't remember that much from that generation. Mm-hmm. I'll probably I say that and by the end of the episode I'll be like, oh, this, 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 and this. But I don't remember liking as much in the 360... We PS three PS three
0: genre. I get that. Others, yeah. I mean, those games haven't aged as gracefully as like a PS four
1: title for sure. Like, or I'd like, even argue a PS one title to some degree. Like PS one look can look, it, you know, it's blocky, but like, I mean, I was looking at Vagrant Story the other day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you remember that one. It was a yeah. Square game. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's like I'm like watching it, and they're like in. You know, it's not. It's not. Uh, actually France, but it's there. It's clearly they were inspired by France and they're like drinking wine at the beginning of the game. I'm like, I want to go there. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, how did they do this? And, but there's a beauty to like PS one, even PS two that kind of, I think became a little bit of muddiness with like the, that next genre that I don't know. There's just, there's some exceptions to that. Obviously and I'll, I'll think of, I say this and then there's a bunch that are going to hit me by the end of the episode. But, um, Yeah, that was, like, a weird time. And until Demon's Souls, I remember kind of falling out of love with games. And then that game came out, and I was like, oh, wait, this is what a game can be. Like, this is, yeah. You better not be trash-talking Final Fantasy X, my favorite RPG of all time. That's PS2. That's PS2. That's PS2. Of course not. I'm not (laughs) trash-talking Final Fantasy X. It's great. I almost, like, I I would almost put that on the list. But, um, you know, X is amazing. But then, like, again, PS3. Are you adding... Are you going to put uh, the Final Fantasy PS3 games on your list? Uh, I mean, 13,
0: I think it's more hate than it deserves. I'm going to say fair, fair. You could, you could argue it's underrated, but
1: like awkward? It's yeah. a little awkward. It is awkward. Like, yeah. Yeah, especially 10, the. 10, which is just joyful. And 12, which isn't my favorite, but is like aesthetically beautiful mm. and like really an interesting world. Even if the story is like kind of paint by numbers. It's like uh, 13, is that. I think that's a great example. Like, Final Fantasy 13 is like the encapsulation of that generation. So when I think of the awkward phase, I was always like that, those years, those are those weird, awkward years. Well, I won't tell our editor, Wesley
0: LeBlanc, who asserts that Final Fantasy Thirteen is the best Final Fantasy game. Oh,
1: all right, all right. <laughs> I, You know, I don't have a, I don't really have too much of a dog in that, Hans. i am always been a little bit more of a Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest sure. guy, but uh, what's the best Dragon Quest game for? Okay. For sure. That's- Is that's, that available? Anywhere, uh, like modern. Yes. Yeah. They've they've redone it um, a couple times, um, and uh, I, I. By then they'd renamed it Dragon Quest Four. I'm not sure what that's on, but um, that is that's amazing. The the Super Nintendo ones, which weren't ported for a long time, are really good as well. But uh, I think you were going to ask me at some point in time what my favorite. Oh no, it's on the DS. They did it on the, they brought it over on the DS. I thought they also did a Game Boy Color version, but maybe that was just Dragon Warrior 3 that they did it for. But um, uh, I'll save a little bit of my my love for Dragon Warrior for for your later My question. follow-up question. Yeah. yeah. I well, think, that, I, think I was gonna get to that because okay. this, this has
0: been officially the longest first Nintendo game, favorite Nintendo game segment. Are we still in it? Oh we my are, gosh. We are okay. 25 minutes deep here. And we're still on first Nintendo game, favorite Nintendo game. And the follow-up question, what is your favorite
1: Nintendo game of all time? So my favorite Nintendo game of all time is Dragon Warrior 4. And uh, I credit that game to uh, me spending thousands of hours um, playing RPGs and until i saw dragon warrior 4 i did not think i liked an rpg in fact i thought it was boring and i didn't understand it and you just put in the commands and it does it for you i i didn't get it and like now you don't really have to describe rpgs to people but back in the day you know you you talk about rpgs and you would be like wait so you don't play the game you just <laughs> tell it what to do in the game why would you do this why would you play this and and i think that's how i felt and then a friend of mine Dragon Warrior 4 is this very weird game because it was very late in the life cycle and my understanding is you had to order it off, like off of a mail order even to get it it was a hundred bucks to order these things. <clears throat> so pretty rare game. A friend of mine had it I, I you know his his parents were really into RPGs I think and um, I remember being at his house and watching this unfold and there was a little bit of one of those Super Mario Brothers moments where you're like oh like, you know, synapses connecting, and you're like, this is this is what a game can be, like, yeah. this is amazing. And I consumed every RPG I could get my hands on for decades as a result of that game. You know, I went back and played Final Fantasy, I played through the earlier Dragon War, they had all of them, they had they oh even had God. two and three, which were also very, you know, three especially was Hope rare. But they and, still have them, because those are pretty I, yeah, expensive. Yeah, I, right? I know, they're probably pretty valuable. Um, but that is uh, that is my favorite uh, Nintendo game, and I will be forever grateful for that getting me into that. And I checked it out. So that got ported to the DS. Dragon Warrior 2 II and 3 got ported to the Game Boy Color, mm-hmm. and um, I've really enjoyed playing those on the Game Boy Color as well. And I still, every once in a while, will fire up 3, uh, which did a really cool thing um, where you can, like, play through generations. That's a... Uh, Pretty
0: well, I know ten or uh, eleven did something similar to that, where you could yep. like play like almost like retro style quests, where it was like it went back to the pixel art of, <laughs> of the Dragon Warrior slash quest franchise, and that was kind of like a cool Easter egg for longtime fans.
1: What I've realized is that as I as I get older, the things I wanted as a kid, like they've made those games for me now. I just don't, I can't play them anymore. Right, like I, I loved Demon Souls to death. And it's like okay, great, but then now it's like I can't spend hundreds of hours on my quest. <laughs> so it's like Elden Ring remains uh, like a game I have not gone deep into, not because I know it's great. I just know myself, and I know as soon as I start playing it, it's going to push every other game aside. Yeah, every other game I need to play for <laughs> for for work, you know, for like fun and work, and it's just going to like absorb me. Same with the Dragon Quest today, where I'm like. I want to play these things, but I need like, so what I usually do is I save them up and play them over Christmas breaks. That's the way to do it. Because... I know. It's just that month, right? It's kind of in the this industry. You get that, you get a little time yeah. and then you just rip on a bunch of games you've been waiting to play all year. After that first week of December,
0: most companies take a break. And yeah. then you have plenty of time to just get through all you need to do. But of course, then yeah. you have all the family obligations. You sometimes have travel involved with that. So
1: yeah, yeah. That's when I, switch uh, becomes the MVP. Yeah, I sacrifice sleep usually. I... <laughs> 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 no, but those are my two, man. And um, you know, there've been a lot of a lot of them in between too. I mean, the Super Nintendo. Actually, if I were to say what what system is probably my in my heart, like one that I. Sega Saturn and and Dreamcast, but uh, Super Nintendo too has a soft spot. So it's it's tough to not. But those are the most influential, for sure. I'm
0: very jealous that you kind of had those formative moments with RPGs because I didn't get into RPGs until much later. Yeah. My first RPG was the Pokemon franchise. You know, I, I, I was we were talking about Pokemon when, before we started recording, and like. You know, I still remember the Christmas that I got my Game Boy Color and Pokemon Blue. And that was kind of like baby's first RPG, right? Or it's like, okay, i have my party. I have I have my progression. I can teach them moves and stuff. And then Final Fantasy X was like my first, like, okay, this is like a real RPG. Yeah. And that's why it's always going to be my favorite RPG because, like, it's one of those, like, oh, this is what a game could be. So the same way you could with, like, Dragon Warrior 4, it was, like, just a, a complete game changer. And I... I think that like that was it was a special game really, it really was like, a special game it was such a leap forward cinematically dome. like like unlike anything i had seen before oh my too. God. I, that was the game that made me decide i needed to buy a, a ps2 yeah. i was at a friend's house <laughs> for like youth group or something like that and he was like hey check out this game that i got and it was like final fantasy 10 and I was like You're like, okay. This yeah, is what video real. games can be? <laughs> like yeah, exactly. And it was one of those like, oh, graphics will never be better than this moments. And obviously <laughs> like you go back and play it today, it still looks good. It's but aged well. It's aged well it's for
1: uh, definitely a twenty two year old hmm. game. <laughs> Some of those PS two games have aged really well. And I think the ones that used a lot of colors, like the Valkyrie profile on PS two, I think I look that up every once in a while and I loved playing that game and like that aged so well. But yeah. um uh it's funny you mentioned that just about those like pokemon and and um there was this super nintendo game called uh, uh final fantasy mystic quest mm-hmm. oh which, my. which we- was the like that was supposed to be the like you know baby's first rpg kind mm-hmm. of thing and remember playing it being like what is this this sucks like you know, <laughs> give me final fantasy 3 um but yeah, like those, those were like, I think that was Square's initial intent there. And I have like a lot of fun moments with Pokemon, um, but mine was also like, I was in late middle school and I remember just like secretly playing Pokemon to death, like like, uh, like being ready for the pre-order and like hanging out. I had a pre-order, they even, they even came with a little traveling case because I had pre-ordered it <laughs> I, and I was so into RPGs by that point in time I had known about Pokemon from Japan because I was like tracking, uh, I was tracking a lot of, um, Japanese RPGs and, um, like trying to like, I'd like download translations of Grandia and and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 uh, uh, That eventually (laughs) you know, you can only go so far with those things. And, um, but that was like a really cool time and, and, uh, yeah, like RPGs were my thing, then tactical RPGs for a, for a very long time, and and then you realize like, oh wait, these take a long time to complete, and mm-hmm. you've got to have the commitment, and and they were great when I had almost unlimited time, but uh, less less for a life where I can play in like one hour increments. Yeah, it,
0: it's very difficult because like also. RPGs, like if you put them down, like if you get busy in life and like, all right, I'm not going to be near my console for the next oh, two weeks. Totally. You might as well just start over. Yeah. Because there's so, such little grace there in terms of like, I need to like remember what's going on in the story. I need to remember what's going on with the, the controls. Like what attacks did I just unlock that I need to like, remember how to use in like my strategy in, in this battle.
1: And, and I have a general rule of thumb where like, if I have to keep a do list, I just don't want to play the game. I, I can't, or I yeah. just literally can't. I have an actual to-do list in my life. Like, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need, you know, and, and I remember playing Witcher 3, and I had, like, a running note going of, like, all this stuff I needed to do, and I would open it up and look at my, and I'm like, why am I feeling stressed right now? Like, my cortisol level's rising. Like, uh-oh, that's a bad sign. When I'm, like, I'm, like, playing my game to, like, to like uh, do chores, basically. And Witcher 3 is amazing. That's not to take anything away from that game. That is the game I would have wanted as a kid, right? Like yeah. they made the game that I wanted when I was a kid. And then I but I played it as an adult, and I'm like, this feels like chores. Like it's an amazing game, it's beautiful. <laughs> but I'm like keeping an active to-do list. It's like got a little bit of a string attached to me at all times. It's like sucking my energy in the, you know, most Buddhist way possible. And so now I, I try to I mean, I play a lot of games, um, obviously, but the ones that I play for for fun are just ones that I can, like, really pick up and play. And that's something I'll say about the Naughty Dog games is they're so linear. Like, the story, you can get you can kind of walk away from and come back to, and it's not too tough. Mm-hmm. But there's not a, like, checklist of things to do. Yeah. You know, when you're playing Uncharted 4, you mentioned it earlier, like, you're just going from beginning to end. And I used to hate games like that. I was like, no, 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 give me branching narratives and... And uh, I do have an exception for this, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast, because I think they did it about as well as a branching narrative can be done. But there is something beautiful now about just, like, experiencing the game and, like, moving through it. And uh, I always thought, I always appreciate a game that you can put down and come back to a week later and feel like you... You're not, like you not. Okay. You never left it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what's scary So that's why I wait for for the holidays because that's the only time I can like consistently play a game all the way through. That makes sense. Yeah. So we have gone thirty
0: five minutes <clears throat> talking about just the intro question here. Isn't so, this
1: what your podcast normally is like? Isn't this is what we normally <laughs> do on podcast. <laughs> this but, is what Brian and I normally do when we hang out. We just like play video games and talk about. Nothing, and then three hours pass. And, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to get a
0: little bit into, like, you know, your job. Yeah. Your, your history yeah. with Atari. So okay. I guess, kind of, talk me through your history with this company. Like, sure. How did you? How much affection did you have for Atari coming into it? Like, what was your kind of view of the company before you joined?
1: Like, just yeah. talk me through your history with Atari. Well, I mean, uh, I must have watched Blade Runner on repeat for most of my high school and and college life so i had this this deep uh, affinity for atari but but mostly through what it stood for and and i did play a lot of the games my first exposure to atari beyond the 2600s that were around in the arcades were the first pc we bought had all of these classic atari games on it: so tempest and and missile command and asteroids and centipede And I loved them all. I just, I remember playing them for hours. And Tempest especially was just this like, I was blown away by the graphics. I'm like, whoa, this is, and I found out how old the game was. And I'm like, what, this is like beautiful. Like, I don't even know how they made this. So, um, you know, I, I do have a deep affinity for Atari and it's only grown as I've gotten to know it better and discovered all these, these real hidden gems that, or not even hidden gems. Like I mentioned Berserk and River Raid and like that um but uh yeah what what brought me to it was just a love of video games and I was at a point in my career where I uh had the opportunity to go back into tech and to do another tech company and which I had done a couple times before or to move into video games or to do something that I was really passionate about and I stopped and asked like what what are you passionate about what do you Really care about, and the one thing that I'd been passionate about my my entire career life, really since the moment I saw Super Mario Brothers, was video games. Mm-hmm. Read about them, I played them everywhere I, I went when I lived. Didn't matter what country I lived in or where I was, they were always with me. Like if I was lonely, you know, there was Castlevania Symphony of the Night to play or something, and it just it was like this this beautiful thing, and and for me. I felt like I was ready in my career to do something I was passionate about. Because mm-hmm. I had thought about it earlier and was really worried that if I went into something I was passionate about, it would kill my passion. Yeah, And so I decided to try it, to make a conscious effort. And uh, I started a retro video game company called Ziggurat Interactive. Mm-hmm. Still around, doing really cool stuff. Um, for people who love Enclave, they just put out Enclave uh, a month ago. They've got a great game coming out called Slave Zero X, which is a uh, brand new prequel to the Slave Zero game. Um, they acquired the Blood Rain franchise, Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's some cool stuff they're working on in the Blood Rain franchise, and I'll, <laughs> I'll let them announce that. I'm no longer you know, involved in, in that and, and the management of that, but uh, uh, they're amazing, and they do really great work. Um, but that brought me in touch with Atari, and then the opportunity to step in and eventually run Atari came up through that. And, uh, it was unexpected, but when the call came, I couldn't turn it down and I'm really grateful to be here. It was, it still is, you know, it's, we always joke, it's the 50 year startup, Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's got, you know, it is truly one of the most recognizable brands in the world yet. It's just, you know, it's, uh, 30 of us just working as hard as we can to like, make cool things and do interesting things and work with people that we, we love and, and think, uh, and whose work we really respect. So yeah, that's, that's what brought me there and what we do. Man. Talk about a
0: a roller coaster there with Mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of coming into this role of this, this company that had such a, a reputation back in like the seventies and eighties and, still is so recognizable to this day. I mean, look at Ready Player One, so many Atari references in there. So like, it's still culturally relevant, but like, how did you assess the state of the company like coming into it?
1: Assess is a, you know, I, I would say I got the call and I chose to like answer the call. And then I think the assessment really happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, the company's changed a lot. Um, you know, when I stepped in, we weren't really doing anything in premium gaming. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had put out Missile Command Recharged and that was about it. Most of our focus was on free to play gaming and, uh, we still do, you know, we still have, uh, RCT Touch, which is a really successful free, free to play game and, and, you know, something that we've put a lot of time and continue to put a lot of time and energy into. Um, but a big shift was just getting back to games, you know, I personally felt like Atari had become a company that was everything but games, and it just bummed me out. Like, yeah. I, I wanted Atari, I wanted to live in a world where Atari made games and made good games, and I also didn't, you know, want to make games that were the exact same as what everybody else was making. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Run and Jump, which you know, thank you for reviewing uh, recently, um, was a good example of that. That wasn't an Atari game. But there was an actual twenty six hundred game built in assembly that was brought to me, and yeah. I played, and was said, "This is amazing. It feels like Super Meat Boy. We have to make this into a modern game. Like if we can make Super Meat Boy on the twenty six hundred, we can definitely make it on the uh, you know PS 5 And so like we you know to be able to work with the old IP to do games that are. To introduce story and narrative and characters to games that didn't have that before, but also to have an emphasis on skill gating, on uh, you know, on um, just drop in and play, you know, you don't need to like go in through a tutorial for an hour. You can just pick up Centipede Recharge and be playing it in two minutes with a friend, and it's easy and simple. Um, I just wanted to make things like that. Akar, you know, yeah. to work with somebody like Jeff Minter to make a new, everybody loves Tempest Two Thousand. 3,000 four thousand well I mean I most people haven't played 3,000, but and 4 thousand you know be able to work with a legend like that to just make a game that is so weird and strange and has never been done before and bring it to life that's that's ultimately what I wanted to do so that was the that was the reason and and, um, and it was there wasn't a lot of that when I came or when, when we started this up, I said I said me, but it was really putting together the whole team. Mm-hmm. And we built, you know, there are, there are some great people that were with Atari before, and we've just built a really great supporting cast around a lot of those people, too.
0: And, you know, I remember I was one of the first people to get my hands on the Atari VCS, which yeah. is the uh, the console that, uh, that Atari has put out, and it's based on uh, Android, is that... What is it No, means? no, it's not. It's, it, is, uh, it is Linux. Linux. Okay. So, I knew so, it was an yeah. existing operating yeah. system that it was yeah. built on top of. And I remember in that same context, like the person who was showing me the demo was like, oh, we also have these speaker hats and like the logo is so recognizable. Mm-hmm. And it's, it almost felt like the sales pitch was more about like the brand recognition of Atari right. than like, oh yeah, we're doing these amazing things with the console. And I I like that now Atari is branching out into these different, like, actually creating games again instead of just, like, kind
1: of reliving past glories. Yeah. No, and and, and, I mean, the brand is amazing, and it is a big part of what drew me in. I mean, Mm -hmm. to have a platform to build something. I mean, I think I always say that, like, Atari is at home in a picture of the 70s and on Mars you know it's like you, you can see it anywhere you know it works in the past it works in the future it's this like futuristic retro feeling and to have a brand and a, and a platform to build something meaningful is is uh invaluable and and i don't i never i'm like so grateful for that that said um there was a really large focus on everything outside of gaming and mm-hmm. And while we still do a lot in licensing and in hardware, if you're not making great games, like, what are you doing? You know, well, I mean, we're video a game hard. company. Right, right. yeah, <laughs> ultimately we're supposed to be a video game company, you know? And so we really hold ourselves to like making great games. That's that's what we like challenged ourselves to do and that's what we try to do uh, day in and day out. And then the rest just comes as a result of that. And one thing you've done a lot of was has ever has
0: been finding great partners to work with you know like you can create good games as atari and like have internal developers but like you worked with digital eclipse to work on the atari 50 collection i I still to this day hold that up as probably the greatest compilation of retro content that's ever been released and then mr run and jump's another really great example of that and you know working with jeff minter on aka r like you're finding the right partners to put out Atari branded
1: content, and I think that's a really smart move. Thank you. And and um, another one I want to throw out there is Night Dive, uh, oh, right. which you know we were able to acquire earlier this year. Uh, they also worked with us on Blood, so we were mm-hmm. pretty familiar with Night Dive. We knew who they were and how they worked, and we just were really impressed. And they shared that retro sensibility. You know, anyone who's played System Shock, uh, you know, it's the reviews are like, you, it's really interesting to read those reviews because people who played old school FPSs always rate that so highly because it's not a shooting gallery. It's not holding your hand. It's it's very, it, like, I wouldn't be surprised if shock-like becomes a term that that gets yeah. used, you know? And, and, but it, for people that are kind of used to being transported from like one setting to another to another, mm-hmm. and you go through a shooting gallery, it's a very like, it's a very uh, jarring experience, but I just was so amazed with everything they were doing in Retro Beyond, like with their remasters with Turok and, and uh, Rise of the Triad that just came out, to like new, or I guess remakes from the ground up, like System Shock, um, but we got to work with them on Blood, and that was the studio that we were just so impressed with. We wanted them to be a part of the fold, and yeah. That's such a
0: smart move, though, because, like, it's very difficult to cultivate talent, create a culture that is able to create, like, these incredible games, but working with the right people who already have that culture, already know how to make right, like, the the correct games. Like, Digital Eclipse is a great example of that. Like, they have such a love and such a history and such a respect for that history within the games industry. Like, they know their stuff about Atari. They, I mean, obviously did... A ton of research for putting together that that uh that compilation and also you know uh finding all these amazing artifacts from the past and everything but they had that built-in love it would be like if somebody asked me like hey can you do like a historical deep dive on sonic or on on mario or zelda it's like all right i'm gonna have to do a lot of research but i'm also like i
1: have this built-in love for it and it comes through in the final product yeah you you don't want to have to like uh that's the challenge with standing up a dev team is mm-hmm. you're you're basically building it from scratch. Whereas if if you know you can you can find a team that is that shares your ethos, that loves the same things you love, Digital Eclipse, for example, um, it's so much easier to uh, to find a way to to incorporate them into the into the uh, infrastructure that you have, and and you know Night Dive was a great example because like. To, to redo what Night Dive had, had already built with their Kex engine and with System Shock, I mean, it would be so challenging. It would take years and years and years, let alone to stand up that, that team. And so to be able to bring them on, but to allow them to operate autonomously and to you know, work on the projects that they want to work on, and, um, but also to be able to rely on their expertise, it's, it's a no-brainer. And hopefully we can do more of that in the
0: future. Yeah, I mean, you just published that game from Graphite Labs with uh, Mr. Run and Jump, which it it fits into the identity of Atari as well, which I think is important. It's not like, you know, in the past we've seen the Atari name slapped on, like, Test Drive Unlimited. And
1: it's (laughs) like, this doesn't really feel like an Atari game, but, like, it says it's an Atari game. Well, it's an Infogrames game, right? Yeah. That's the, uh, (laughs) you know, and I I always, I challenge the team with that a lot, which is, um, you know, Atari, everyone ignores the 2000s for Atari, and it's a shame, because the 2000s were, I mean, say what you want about Infogroms. it was amazing in its time. Like, oh, I love Test Drive Unlimited, it just didn't feel like an Atari of course, game, you know? yeah, because when I think Atari started to mean nothing, like mm. that's, and that's the real work that we have to do to make sure that doesn't happen, right? Like, Test Drive Unlimited is great. Like, should Atari publish it? Probably not. A brand that might be, you know, under the Atari umbrella absolutely i mean we don't own test drive unlimited so that's a maybe, a, maybe <laughs> the wrong example but like you know that's a part of why night dive is such a great they they share the same ethos mm-hmm. we you know we both have a passion and a love for retro gaming and yet like it makes more sense to have night dive publish an fps than to have atari publish an fps mm-hmm. that's what night dive is known for that's not what Atari is known for and and <clears throat> the 2000s were this great time i mean There is so much great content that was put out by Infograms in that time period, but it doesn't feel like... People forget it because it doesn't feel like Atari. It feels like something else because it really... When you put Atari on a retro collection and on a a tennis game and on a Terminator game and on Test Drive, what does it mean? It doesn't really mean anything anymore. It's just a a label that's big and broad and, and I think having a more... In the video game space, having a more specific label that means something very particular is more valuable than having something that stretches across all
0: genres. Yeah, and it fits in with the identity, like, you know, Vector Sector, part of the Atari 50 collection, but it's an all new game developed by Digital Eclipse to fit in with that collection. Totally. It feels like a natural inclusion in that. Just like Mr. Run and Jump feels like a natural inclusion of, like, the Recharge series. Yeah. Like, those feel like they are definitively atari products and i know that like you know maybe in 2030 atari publishing like modern triple a style titles <laughs> but like as people kind of associate the atari franchise with like a particular or the atari uh, name with a particular genre or a particular mm-hmm. art style or a particular gameplay style those fit as naturally as any, like, publisher could possibly hope for. Yeah. And,
1: I mean, who knows? In 2030, we, we might be publishing AAA games. Maybe a brand that we own is publishing a AAA game. Mm-hmm. That's a better fit. Or, um, or maybe we won't publish AAA games. Maybe we'll decide that that's just not where we want to go. I, um, you know, I, I really love what we're doing right now, and I think I think that comes through in the work, you know? That comes through in the reviews. It comes. I think that maybe that's the... You know, what I oftentimes say is like, well, just judge us on what we end up making. And yeah. if you look at it and, and we're like what we've put out, it's, you know, they're, they're good games. They're really fun, great, and they're the type of things that, that I want to play, or that like people on our team want to play, and, and me included, where I can like, Mr. Run Jump, I mean, you can play that for 30 minutes or now. hour. You're, you can come back to that two weeks later, <laughs> yeah. and you're not gonna have any confusion about what you need to do. It's not need... The Witcher 3 in terms <laughs> of complexity. <laughs> you start at the beginning of the level, you need to get to the end. Uh, <laughs> You know, you might break a controller in the process, but, uh, that game, that game is so difficult at times. Oh, I, you know, I, I do love a tough platformer, but like that one pushed me, that one pushed me (laughs) I think I need to bring up my quote here because like I I did review it. (laughs) Um, did you ever play Celeste back in the day? Oh yeah. I love Celeste. I know. That's what I, so I like channeled a lot of that. When I played it, like a lot of people are drawing that comparison. I was drawing the Mr. or uh, Mr. Super Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy is actually the more apt
0: comparison. It's just fewer people. I'd say Celeste is a little bit better known, but yeah. Here's the quote that I had in my review. The challenges that await will have you screaming in frustration until they have you shouting in triumph. That was good. Yeah. I remember that. One. That was good, for it. But yeah, like that's that's so true for that game because it is such a challenging like I want to throw my controller th- like I don't care like if the the switch con tell you to put on the wrist strap or whatever that
1: joy con's going through the TV well <laughs> in that game that game it was like this is gonna be the like the ultimate skill gating game mm-hmm. we're not going to like you know just because you like grinded on it for a really long time doesn't mean you like this to, to like progress like this is skill gating and um, I mean there's a few things that it does to kind of like help ease things but like it really like when you get through it, we wanted that to feel like a sense of accomplishment. Oh, and, and it absolutely did. And I and think this, that's the beauty of the Atari, and even in the Nintendo, like there was a lot of just pure skill-gating that allowed, that like you couldn't advance until you figured out how to clear this specific thing. It's
0: it, like, I always say, like I'm not the biggest like Soulsborne fan. Like right. I got into Bloodborne for a while. Right. I got into Elden Ring for a while. I've never gotten into a Dark Souls game. And I, people were always, oh, you just don't like hard games. It's like, no, I love Mr. Run and Jump. Yeah. I just recently
1: talked about. Blas- I can, I can, I can say you love hard games. I play enough games with you. I know that
0: you're, <laughs> not, you're not a stranger like, to it. Blasphemous Two just
1: came out. That's a very
0: challenging two yeah. uh, D side-scrolling Metroidvania. I had a great time with it. I've talked about on my uh, on the eShop gem of the week. Yeah. I've talked about Sunder. That's a very difficult, challenging Metroidvania st- uh, style game. It's got to be coming down to like the the tightness of the gameplay, and and I I love. What from software is attempting to do there, and like what they do accomplish, I just don't think that the difficulty gels with the gameplay style for
1: my personal tastes. Let me ask you this: Did you play Demon Souls back in the day? I did not, and, and I and I'm only asking that because I have this thing sometimes with movies where if people are like raving about a movie and then I go see it, I'm like instantly on guard to what I'm experiencing. Yeah, where I'm like, all right, like this this is just this is too much. Like this has been pushed on me too much. And so I'm usually pretty... Trying to be a little contrarian on it. Yeah, almost a little bit, right? And, like, and I can see, like, with Dark Souls, the... Like, just the, like, the hype around Dark Souls was so massive, and everyone talked it up to such a huge degree. Mm-hmm. But to get in there, you're kind of, you've are kind got to be, like, expecting the greatest thing ever, to some degree. And it still is, like, deeply obtuse and, like, very frustrating. The controls are, like, you know, you'll walk off cliffs half the time and everything. I think, like... If I started playing it now, I'd kind of like be like, ah, I don't know if like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what everybody's talking about, but like, you know, I came in having played Demon's Souls and even, and, and the Armored Core series before yeah. that, which I was really a big fan of. And you going to play the new one? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, I, like, they're never great games, they, at least back in the day. Now, who knows? But the now, new, you know, it's the developer that brought us... It's the new From
0: Software, so, Ring and Bloodborne, yeah. so... But
1: man, I used to love Armored Core. I played... Uh, I played all of them. I, like on the PlayStation, the PS two. Like, um, I just thought they were such. Uh, there was even a Japanese only Dreamcast game. I, yeah. I'm gonna butcher this it's called Frame Grid. I'm not sure if uh, Frame Grid. I know that sounds. I think it's G R I D E. Like, but um, that was really fun and cool, and it was like. Frame Grid. Like, yeah, I found it. Yeah. Like- <laughs> and it was like, um, it was. Uh, it was like those games where you were kind of, it was like a little bit of, you had swords and stuff, so it was like mex mis, mixed with like medieval, it was great. Yes, that's it, yeah. Beautiful yeah. cover art too. It is cool cover art. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, I picked that one up in, in Japan and just like really dug that game. But um, uh, yeah, so I kind of came into it like knowing what to expect, but even I at a certain point in time was like, all right, like if everyone's telling me, like. It's kind of like Rick and Morty, like, I love it, but if somebody's got a tattoo of (laughs) Rick and Morty on their arm, you know, like, like, well, I'm never going to be that big a fan. Yeah. I got to, like, deal with somebody, like, you know, kind of waving, like, really waving this thing in my face. And so I think Dark Souls took on a little bit of a... It became such an obsessive game that it kind of ruined the title a little bit. No, I get that for sure. And I remember in my
0: early 20s, I had kind of this contrarian rebellion against the Zelda franchise. Cause you know, I, I grew up loving the original Zelda. I loved the crap out of A Link to the Past. Ocarina of yeah. Time was my favorite game of all time. But you have all these people like, I remember in my early twenties, it was like, all right, well, Wind Waker's the greatest and Twilight Princess is the greatest. And I remember being like, it just feels like the same formula over yeah. and over and over again. And of course, I wasn't digging deep into it. I wasn't the biggest GameCube fan, right? I, I wasn't like a, a big Mario Sunshine. I didn't I didn't love Wind Waker initially. Now, I, I think it's one of the best Zelda games ever made. Yeah, but like I kind of lost out on the GameCube era when it was happening because I was too involved with like the original Xbox and PS2, oh, we have PS2. yeah. PS2 was I mean, PS2 in terms of sales, wiped mean, yeah, the floor with everything. Yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, um, beautiful. But yeah, like so, I, I kind of went through this phase of like, well, what are we like still doing with the Zelda franchise? Like every <laughs> Zelda game is the same, like fundamentally. And then like you know, I origi- I eventually learned the error of my ways, and you know, two of my top three f- or my my top two favorite games of all time are both Zelda games, in both in Breath of the Wild and Ocarina of Time. Yeah. And I mean, Tears of the Kingdom is probably in there too, if I'm being honest with myself. <laughs> So have you got a chance to play Tears of the Kingdom?
1: I, I have not. That's another You play Breath theme. of the Wild though, right? Oh, of course. That's why I haven't played Tears of the Kingdom. Because I have played Breath of the Wild. Because you know what oh, commitment it requires. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen, and it's going to get so messy. I need like a couple international flights and oh, a It's a cheat code for flights.
0: I will Dude. look down for 30 minutes playing Tears of the Kingdom, and I'll look up and be like, oh, two hours well, have passed.
1: Just in, Yeah, landed <laughs> in Amsterdam. <laughs> uh, no, I mean. It, that's that's where I'm gonna like I got into Breath of the Wild in on, on on a European trip. That's what it, it's got to be the answer because that's the only way it works. You know, you at hotels at night and you know after long days <laughs> and you want to wind down a little bit. But um, no, I I know myself and so I am saving Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, Go in as blind as you can to that oh, because I have not
0: read anything. Don't
1: look up anything. Like there were I'm, even things
0: that like. We talked around that are fundamental aspects of it. When we did like our review of Tears yeah. of the Kingdom on this show, we didn't talk about a very specific thing that makes up a very large portion of the game. But, like, we yeah. want people to like explore this for themselves. Now we
1: talk about it pretty openly, right. So be
0: careful what you like watch on YouTube <laughs> and who
1: you listen to. And but you know, I had a similar experience with Breath of the Wild. I kind of fell out of love with Zelda. And it was on a whim. I was in Europe and I was just sort of like alone and kind of having a rough trip. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was like, ah, fine, I'll pick up Zelda. And I remember firing it up in my hotel, and I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And that's so that's one of those moments where you're like, wow, this. It, I'm not saying anything new, right? Like like this is so. This is just fact at this point in time, which is why I don't bring it up much. Yeah, it's also why I don't. I'll bring up Demon Souls, but not not Dark Souls, because it's like people talk about it like it is fact, and it is fact to some degree. But it's annoying when it's pushed on you to such a high degree. You did mention Bloodborne, which is like my personal favorite. In it's my episode. personal favorite
0: of the yeah. Soulsborne. Like again, it's not my genre. It's not my developer. The aesthetics of it. But Bloodborne Very is the cool. closest I ever came to like getting really into it. I yeah. I put about ten hours into that game and I got through Father Gascoigne, who everybody's like, Oh, that's the big skill check. Like once you get through that, like you're you're golden. Yeah. And I beat him. And then I was like, I went into the swamps <laughs> and I was like, nope, I don't need to play this anymore. I'm like, done. Like there were snakes jumping in the air and like biting me and I'm like this, I don't want to do this. That, I rarely <laughs> platinum a
1: game and that was one of the few that I like said, cause it's, it's a commitment and I usually like would rather play more games than like play it all a game all the way to completion Yeah. To platinum. And, and uh, that one I did cause I just wanted to see everything and discover everything and it was so like... But I also, again, I know, like if I get an Elden Ring, it'll probably be the same. And like I... Oh, it's gonna be like the tears, the kingdom fear that you, you have, know, it's like you're just gonna get absorbed, because... And, <laughs> and I'll be reading about the, the mythos online, and like, checking out, <laughs> oh, what does this mean, and what does this mean, and what, you know, and it's, it's a, you lose sleep, I lose sleep over it, and so I have to be very careful. But that's also partially why I like simple games now. Like, yeah. I, I mean, when I was younger, yeah. I wanted complexity because my life was simple, and now, my life is deeply complex and I want simplicity because I, I don't really have the, I mean, I I want, I think as humans, we want the opposite of what we have. Always. Yeah. And, and I feel like most of us have complex enough lives. You know, I I don't need to read like pages and pages, although I I would never trade that bloodborne stuff. Like it was so, it was so cool, but uh, I don't know if I need to like unveil an entirely new world in Elden Ring yeah. and read pages and pages of like backstory and everything because that's what I'll do
0: but um, I mean there are so many times that I sit down to game and I'm like alright I want to play something super complex I want to get into an RPG I want to play yeah. Final Fantasy 16 but there are even more times where I sit down and I'm like alright I just want to get into the action I don't totally. want to think too much I'll fire up vampire survivors yeah that's like my go to like I don't want to think too much I don't want to read anything I just want to like jump in, yeah. kill some enemies, power up this guy to be like just an <laughs> unstoppable killing machine. And it's just such a great turn off your brain experience. And that's what I need sometimes. But other times, you know, I do want to play the Persona 5s. I do want to play the Tears of the Kingdoms. I do want to play the Witcher 3s or the yeah. Final Fantasy 16s. And it's just like, those are the times where those types of games come into play. And I
1: and not that, like, the reason why... It, At Atari, but we do focus on narrative and characters and things like that. We just are very selective when we do it. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the reasons why we do focus a lot on these Vampire Survivor esque games, it's a really good I've never put those two together, but that's a great analogy, is because I feel like it's underserved. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, there are, like, I have Elden Ring and Tears of the Kingdom and, you know, and God of War and a bunch of other stuff that I can kind of like go into when I want to. But I don't have a lot of things that I can just fire up and play. And, uh, you know, what is Atari but not something that immediately you should pick up, understand within five seconds and, like, be able to get it in this very short order. It's a easy to learn, difficult to master. That's yeah. what we always say, right? That's the ethos of Atari. And even games that are gonna that are much deeper and have deeper and richer stories, it still should be... Based on that, like we have a new Lunar Lander coming out, mm-hmm. but it still is there's there's complexity, there's like narrative, and it's and it's done by a really great team, uh, and the team that did Chris Tales uh, Dreams Incorporated, oh, yeah, I liked Chris Tales, yeah, yeah. So you know, so it's kind of in- incorporating that storytelling and those aesthetics, but as at its core, it's the you know it's Lunar Lander. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, you, know, you can pick it up and you're ready to go. There's not a lot to like. Uh, you're not going to be walked through a huge tutorial and but it, yeah we it was sort of lunar lander mixed with ftl that was the the idea and the, the premise behind it i'm I, mean, I, I personally love ftl i think it's one of those great great games that yeah. uh, maybe gets overlooked but uh, uh it didn't at the time
0: but now it no i guess is.
1: yeah i i shouldn't it didn't get overlooked. in retrospect it is now just, like, you don't hear people talk about it much and i still don't know if there's anything that's ever quite come come up to that level of like challenge and easy to pick up to play gameplay so yeah mm-hmm. well you've alluded to this a little bit
0: uh, when, ta- when we were talking about like what atari might be doing in 2030 but like sure. what do you see as kind of like the way forward for atari now that you're kind of back to emphasizing gaming yeah. in the atari <laughs> brand like how do you see like the next decade or two playing out for atari well I- I mean, gaming is
1: a big part of it, and you know we'll continue to put out these um, these really core Atari gameplay games, but we also are going to do much larger uh, narrative, story, character-driven games based under that core gameplay, though. So we're not moving away from that, and we're just going to work with great developers, and then hopefully continue to expand the Atari umbrella, the amount of companies that exist within Atari, much like we did with Night Dive. So, you know when we love working with a company and when it makes sense, like bringing that into the fold. And and I think you know, there's a lot of companies doing great things, but I, I would really love to see Atari carve out a meaningful niche in retro gaming. Mm. I just think, you know, and in software, hardware, everything. Um, I feel like that's a place where you know people think of the brand it immediately goes and then it can grow and expand from there Mm -hmm. Um, but on gaming i i oftentimes feel that that's a very natural evolution um but you know we're you know on hardware um the vcs we recently partnered with uh, another hardware called polymega which is beautiful and amazing and uh, i was just blown away by it but the idea there is to Allow the VCS through the Poly Mega and an upcoming product they have coming out, be able to play pretty much every retro CD-based console that existed. You know, and, and if it doesn't, play, you know, 3DO doesn't technically or the Jaguar CD, but I think those are on the you know the roadmap. <laughs> but PlayStation, Saturn, Sega CD, uh, Neo Geo CD, and then cartridge cartridge modules. So hmm. to kind of turn single uh, single points into larger. Um, larger retro uh just expanding accessibility to retro content is a big thing we'd like to do it's such an important thing nowadays like yeah like
0: there's so many what was the study that the video game history foundation yeah. put out where it was like 87 percent of like retro games or something like that are not accessible on modern platforms well and, and what constitutes
1: a retro game if you go back to like the ps1 era it's 95 percent Right. So yeah. I mean, I think it's like 10 years was like the mark. Or the yeah, exactly like the line so, Demarcation, right? So, so, you know, you're kind of looking there. Well, that's 2013 2012 like Some of that's ps4 still like that's still available Yeah, you know, some of that's ps3 those are a little bit more or Xbox 360 a lot of Xbox 360 and Xbox still is you go back to you know 2000s 99, I mean it goes downhill quickly it does and I, I think that's a shame, and and I would love to see. I just would love to see more options there. Why why not? Like I, I um, you know, it's it's not gonna be my top five, so I'll bring it up. But like, I'd love to be able to play ActRaiser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's a great game, man. You know, i fire it up. And, um, uh, so there's that. But then the other side of it is, you know, Atari as a brand, it is a really meaningful brand, and I'd love to see it more in pop culture. I'd love to see it. Uh, I mean, we do a ton in pop culture and licensing, but um, to see it in in media in more meaningful ways, and I hope um, I hope over the next decade and twenty thirty, you know, it's a uh, it's a really large meaningful media franchise, and that it has a lot of great sub brands underneath it. Awesome. Well, thank you
0: so much for chatting with me about kind of your role at Atari, how you see the road forward. We are going to take one quick break the only break of this episode and when we get back you're not quite off the hook yet because we're going to <laughs> definitive ranking and getting your eshop gem of the week we'll be right. right back let's do it we are back and it is time for definitive ranking a recurring segment where we take a nintendo topic and give our personal top five lists since Atari has been reviving some of its most beloved IPs through its reimagined series and games like Aka-R, this time I want to get a list of the top five IPs you would wish to get revived. So start at five, count it down to one, give me like a sentence about each. Ooh. Okay, so five,
1: one is the most. Yes. Right, okay, so uh, number five, I would put Panzer Dragoon and specifically Panzer Dragoon Saga. You have a uh, copy of that for Saturn, right? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my all-time favorite games. Beautiful, uh, weird, and um, like just a really unexplored world. Orda on Xbox was cool, but I would love to see another RPG in the God. Panzer Dragoon world. Um, so that one, five. Number four, I'm gonna do an FPS. Uh, Spec Ops The Line. uh yeah yeah uh i'm not i don't play a ton of fps but when i do i like them to be a little bit cerebral and and i think about that game all the time and i know it's not the best gunplay of any game but it is to this day i think a a really well-made uh deeply arresting version
0: of apocalypse now Yeah, it absolutely is. And it does. I mean, Heart of Darkness is another one that they do a great job um, kind of paying homage to in that game. And they make you feel some things in that narrative for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Number three, hmm, I'm going to say Lords of the Realm, uh, specifically Lords of the Realm 2. Weird choice, but I don't play a lot of strategy games anymore. And I used to play them all the time. I love it, and I feel like a new Lords of the Realm is the kind of thing that would get me into a, you know, a Paradox-style strategy game, and yeah, I used to sit in class and map out my plans in that game, so that's that's my number three. (laughs) See, I would sit in class and design Mario
0: levels. Yes. And Star Star Fox Fox levels.
1: That's great. That's much cooler. (laughs) (laughs) So that brings us to number two. Number two, uh, SNK versus Capcom, Card Fighters Clash. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I put a ton of time on that Neo Geo Pocket Color game. By far my favorite Neo Geo Pocket Color game. Probably my favorite, uh, one of my favorite handheld games of all time. And there was one made for the DS, but it doesn't count.
0: And I would love,
1: love, love to see that. That hey, DS was a long time ago. DS is fair, yeah. That still would fall under this, um... But, man, that was cool. That was a fun, fun game, and I used to play with my brother a lot. Yeah, all right, so that brings us to number one. All right, number one um, is a bit of a cheat for me because I'm going to put it in the same world as my uh, Switch uh, or my Nintendo Game of the Week, but it is Final Fantasy Tactics. I do not understand why this series (laughs) does not have games made in it. And I don't, I mean... And this is no disrespect to the Game Boy Advance games, which were great uh, in their own right, but, like, a true Final Fantasy Tactics uh, game made, you know, a sequel to the PlayStation game, I would absolutely play that. I would would commit the time. I would carve it out, even during non-holiday seasons, to play that title. But it's... That will flow into my my Switch game of the week, which is probably my number one uh, that I would like to see brought back. But they're all kind of the same thing, and they're all from the same team, so I think it's a twofer. So, have you played Triangle Strategy? I have played Triangle okay. Strategy, yes. What were your yes. thoughts
0: on that? Because I know that was billed as kind of like a spiritual successor. Oh, man.
1: Disappointing. I, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I shouldn't... It's just it, it like you were talking about like baby's first RPG that felt and like felt baby's, baby's first, first tactics. tactics RPG. What I will say though the um like it, if you compare it to Final Fantasy Tactics or sort of my personal favorite, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um uh, I just the story, the way it unfolds, the ramifications, the mm-hmm. like the way things are done, it just felt pretty weightless, and and then the the dialogue was rough like the dialogue was pretty inane um, but the combat was great yeah that was super great and they'd set up these these really fun um, you know it was, it, I think it was closer to shining force than FFT okay. or tactics Ogre, and I think the fact that it got billed as like uh, Final Fantasy tactics is to its disservice if somebody would told me like oh it's you know this is the spiritual successor to shining force that is actually what it feels like I didn't think about that until right now and you know really good combat a little bit lighter on the like outside of battle stuff and uh yeah fun fun maps though fun maps to move your units around and like and to kind of uh strategize on so some good stuff yeah great list uh no overlap
0: which is always a favorite of mine when it comes to my (laughs) list um i'm gonna run down mine real quick here I originally had F-Zero as my number five, but when we you we were going over your list and I mentioned one of these franchises, I decided to put Star Fox as my number five. I think that there is yeah. some way to do yeah. that really well, and Nintendo just hasn't figured it out. They haven't cracked the code of how to make a good modern Star Fox. Star Fox Zero had some promise, but they shoehorned in too many gimmicks with the Wii U gamepad and everything. I think that there is a back-to-basics approach that would be a home run for that franchise. Have you played Panzer Dragoon Orda? Uh, no. On the Xbox, I loved Panzer Dragoon back on the Saturn. Like yeah. that was my introduction to the Saturn. That in Daytona, USA,
1: were my introduction to the Saturn. It's uh, it's my favorite Xbox game. Oh, wow. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing and beautiful and wildly underrated. If you get a chance, like, I wonder if it's backwards compatible on. I Xbox believe it is. Series. I believe it's one of the few that is, but I think it is. So if okay. you have a chance, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure it's on sale. You will be shocked. It's an Xbox game. It, it looks so
0: good. I will check that out for sure. Um, number four for me, I'm going in FPS as well for my number four entry, Titanfall. Yeah. That's a game Classic. that Titanfall 2, Titanfall 1 fell short of expectations. I think a lot of people would agree with that. I was thinking that was going to be a Call of Duty killer. I was telling people like at my day job that I had at the time, like, oh my, <laughs> like forget about Call of Duty. Titanfall is going to just like be the next big thing. And then it came out and it kind of, you know, landed with a dud. Titanfall 2, one of the greatest first-person shooter single-player campaigns I've ever played in my life. And then they were like, well, we have Apex Legends, so we don't need Titanfall anymore, (laughs) even though it's in the same universe technically. And it's like, well, I would like a Titanfall 3, and a lot of people would like a Titanfall 3. So that is my, I guess, my most modern franchise that I would like to see revived. Number three, Portal. Come on, I know there's so many Valve franchises that to, you know the 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 old joke of like Valve's allergic to the number three. We never got Half Life three. We never got Left for Dead three. Portal three is the one I want the most, yeah. and it's just there's never been a game that has made me think that like oh my god this is like the most clever game I've ever played in my life like Portal two. I know a lot of people point to Portal one as like the apex of that that duology. I guess. Oh really? But. I didn't know that. Portal Two, people sometimes say it's like oh it's too bloated, it goes on for too long. I think that the the care that is paid in the narrative and like the little like Easter eggs around the world that tell you like there's so much world building going on, so ma- so much care put in the creation of this game, that is why Portal Two is one of my favorite
1: games of all time. It's got a great two player mode too. It really does. It's I play through both the single player and the co op. It shocks me that Portal Two, that one is considered better than two. I would agree with you.
0: I... I'm- I think it's because it was such a bite-sized experience that didn't like overstay its welcome mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form, and it didn't like expand too much on the original premise of like, oh, you have a portal gun. Whereas Portal Two had like, yeah, much more involved narrative. It had like those gels that made you do different things, and it's everything. also funnier though. I it mean, is much funnier. Yeah, and they really the voice actor, the I don't know if you saw in my in my basement. I have uh, not only the voice actress of Glados. Uh, her signature, but also Steven Merchant, who played Wheatley (laughs) in Portal 2. I have their autographs together on my wall. Um, Let's go to number two. This is maybe my spiritual number one, but (laughs) Power Stone. Ooh, Power Stone. Talking about Dreamcast greats. I love it. I'm, uh, what a
1: good good one
0: I'm still mad at myself I, I have this habit of asking or, or thinking of the best interview questions after the interviews already done yeah like I had this amazing joke that I interviewed Tom Holland for the Uncharted movie and I'm like that was coming fresh off of the spider-man no way home press tour that he just did and I was like you know everybody was asking like, Oh, are Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in this movie and I thought it would be hilarious After the fact, of course, I thought about this. Where I'd be like, "Oh, I should start this interview with like, so are Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in this movie talking about Uncharted?" And then when he's like, laughs laughs it off, he's like, "Yeah, I've heard that one before." (laughs) Like, I, I think of these really great interview questions after the fact, and one of my eternal regrets is that when I was at Capcom out in Osaka. I didn't ask them about Power Stone. Like we had a Rapid Fire interview about Street Fighter Six, and I asked them about some other Capcom franchises, and I completely glanced over the Power Stone question that I wrote down, but completely missed when I was asking them the questions for this Rapid Fire interview. Power Stone 1 or 2. What's your choice? Uh, 2 is probably objectively the better game, but really? I really I, I have more
1: fond memories of Power Stone 1. So I have played War 2 because it's four-player, mm-hmm. but I feel like the four-player bloats it a little, or not even bloat, that's wrong, but like, it feels like it was dialed in more in one. Agree. It's just such a tight, awesome game. Like, I mean, I don't... I think it's the same argument people make
0: about Portal 1 versus Portal 2. So, maybe so, maybe so, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. They're
1: both amazing. I just, like, I often, I've wondered that, like, a lot. Like, all right, is the super-dialed-in two-player mode, or the, like, little bit looser, a little bit like less balanced four-player so mode of chaotic. Power Stone, yeah. Both great games. I would love a Power Stone instant buy, for sure. I do Don't love know. that if you're playing Street
0: Fighter Six, which you know just came out this year, past this past June. Yeah, you can put on your player card like they. You can choose like, oh, I'm a Street Fighter Two fan, or I'm a Street Fighter Four fan, or whatever. You can scroll all the way down. There's more Capcom games, like Darkstalkers, SNK, or yeah. Capcom versus SNK. There's one that says Power Stone 1 or Power Stone 2 Fan, Mm -hmm. and I chose Power Stone 2 Fan as my my title card. So I'm glad there's at least some acknowledgement that those games exist from Capcom. So my number one, it's kind of a a twofer here, but it's a genre, and that is Rock Band and Guitar Hero. Uh, Because those games, I, I still have my Rock Band setup downstairs. I still have so many... DLC songs Every once in a while Like every few months I will still log on To the Rock Band DLC store And like buy new songs That they put out To this day And it's like It's such a great Like party thing Of like Oh let me have Like a group of Four friends over And we'll like Rotate playing The different instruments And everything They still put out Music They still day. put out song, Even though they were Harmonix was acquired By Epic Games And they largely work On Fortnite Like musical events now But they still put out Weekly Rock Band songs Unreal I didn't know To this that. day And wow. it's It's amazing like and like i'll log on like again like every like three months i'll fire up rock band four and be like let's see what they have and i'll end up dropping like 12 bucks on dlc songs because they've put out so many great like modern and classic songs so yeah i would love to see that franchise come back i don't know if it ever will i don't know if it's even smart for it to come back because the music licensing i'm sure is just a nightmare totally and I, i can't imagine like producing all those instruments in mass is a, a profitable business strategy in 2023 i mean that's why it's, it's so hard to find those instruments now because the company that made them they had an exclusive they had a licensing deal with uh mad cats mm. and mad cats went under and mm. it was like okay well now there's no way to get instruments <laughs> so it's like if you go on ebay those guitars are just ridiculously expensive really? the drums are even more they're even worse Wow. So yeah, I would love to see Rock Band and Guitar Hero come back, if for no other reason than to get like a, a huge set of new songs, maybe a couple innovations along the way, and also some new instruments, because they're so hard, I had to go through hell to get my, mm-hmm. my new guitar after my old ones broke. Um, but wait, that brings us to our final segment here. Yep. It's a quick one. It's one that you've been prepping for. That's for months right. now, That's it right. is your time to shine here. It's the eShop gem of the week. A chance to give a shout-out to a game that maybe people overlooked
1: on the Nintendo eShop. What is your eShop gem of the week? Yeah, and this goes against what I said earlier, but this is a blast from the past. And Tactics Ogre is my eShop gem of the week. Um, and it all, it's also my twofer, because the same team that did Final Fantasy Tactics did Tactics Ogre. And I would argue it's the, uh, the better the game. I, I think it's just the deeper, a little bit more rich game of the two. Um, and Ogre Battle as a series of all games is probably the one I would love to see come back. So I really stretched it to six. But um, <laughs> Tactics Ogre, I, I played the PSP game when that came out. And to this day, I think it is the best remaster ever made. Wow. It's my personal favorite remaster. The PSP version. Well, this is yes. This is an extension. This is a remaster of that. This is Tactics Ogre Reborn. But I think it does branching narratives as well as branching narratives have ever been done. And mm. you know, Detroit took a little bit from that. But like, outside of that, like it, you basically you can play through all these various parts. But you can also un you know rewind back to other parts, replay, so you don't have to start all the way from the beginning. Because I mean, the game is long and winding and deep and, and, you know, punishing uh, if you really play it honestly and, like, don't reset and stuff. And and, um, it is a... It's beautiful. It's just a beautiful experience. Um, I remember, like, I think, you know, in those... I think the PlayStation is... Underrecognized for how much I push forward narratives mm-hmm. between things like that and Valkyrie Profile and uh, Final Fantasy. Yeah, a, I mean, a lot of what I'm talking about is Square. Now that I think yeah, of it, but Square was the one that was yeah under- they were really appreciated appreciated for. Them, <laughs> they? But uh, yeah, yeah, Final Fantasy Seven, even compared to like say three, um, you know, it. it uh, I think it's a beautiful game, and people haven't played Tactics so Ogre. It holds up really well, uh, and yeah. And, and that PSP, before this came out, it was worth owning a PSP just for that. And if they also, you know, bring back Valkyr Profile Lenneth from PSP, then this, like PSP might be my favorite all-time <laughs> console, but I'm not sure what's left after those. So there's, there's yeah. a few others, there's a few others that haven't been brought back, but I'm really glad to see it make an appearance. Yeah, and um I know you're a big Persona 3 fan. Persona oh, yeah. 3 Portable,
0: which was a PSP exclusive prior, yes. that is now on Switch as well. Yeah. So that's another uh notch on the Switch's belt that was, you know, a, one of the reasons a lot of people owned a PSP.
1: Totally. I know, it makes me a little sad cuz there's so many uh there's so many great Parasite Eve I think had a PSP oh, yeah. game, so maybe that probably will never be brought back, so maybe that's one. Maybe that's one reason to still own a PSP, even if it wasn't the greatest game. <laughs> Very stylistic and cool.
0: So well I've talked about this a lot about how like the Switch is such a great game for tactics fans. Like great. XCOM 2 is on there. Um the Mario Plus Rabbits games mm-hmm. are so much fun. Tactics yeah. Ogre Reborn. Yeah. Triangle Strategy. I know you weren't the biggest fan of it, but it's a it's a solid tactics game. Totally. We have Advanced Wars 1 and 2. Um, made by way forward a favorite of mine two yeah, mainline yeah. fire emblem games are now on there right yeah. so it's like there are so many grand you know persona 5 tactica is on the horizon for this holiday season there's a lot of great tactics games and all we need is final fantasy tactics to really make the leap over right or just a brand new one come on or like, just let's like, so just don't <laughs> support us the same we're getting mario
1: game. rpg like i never thought we would get a remake of mario <laughs> rpg coming <laughs> to switch i i want a full-on sequel to final fantasy tactics I want to, like, see Invalis and understand it and, like, know what is going on on that island. And uh, in in that continent. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that's the one where I keep coming back to it and I'm like, why? Why can't we have another one of this? I mean, Tactics Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre I get a little bit more. A uh, little bit more obscure, but Final Fantasy Tactics, There's, there's gotta be a big enough community for a I can't imagine sequel. I can't believe that Square Enix has
0: never done anything with that, really, yeah. like there's there's never really been like, I mean I guess we
1: got the, what was it, on DS? Oh another uh, good tactic game, uh, they're redoing the front missions. Oh right, yeah! The front mission just came, the, the old uh, remaster the old one, and I think they're gonna redo 2 and 3, yeah. which I, I have not played 2 and 3, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, there you go. And 5, I would love to see 5 get ported over to the U.S. That's mm. got it on, on PS2 from Japan. But again, having the translation sitting next to you and playing the game is not quite the same. No. So <laughs> that would be a nice one. That would be a nice like uh, journey over if it ever can get done. Well, fingers crossed that those fingers first crowds. four Front Mission remakes yeah. do well, and they
0: can justify bringing over a localization for the first time. But, Wade, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Brian, thank you, man. This is great. Yeah, it's been Anytime. awesome. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any questions or comments in, you can hit me up at allthingsnintendo at GameInformer.com. Or you can hit me up on social media, at Brian P. that is on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, whatever ends up panning out in this social media landscape that we're currently in. Um, And as always, you can join the Game Informer community Discord by subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Wade, go ahead and tell people where they can find you online. Oh man.
1: Uh, I am not as online happy as you, but you can go to Atari.com and see everything we're doing with Atari. Um, and our Discord page and please follow us on our Steam Publisher page which is Atari. It's pretty easy to find so (laughs) that's where you can find me. That is our show for this week. Thank
0: you all again so much for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.